as we do worship together uh, this morning, we want to come together around God's Word, and we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians uh, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As we read this, we hear the Apostle Paul uh, speaking to a, a gathered group of believers in many ways just like this one, albeit separated from us by 2,000 years. They welcomed uh, brothers and sisters into their membership, into their fellowship. They supported one another and they cared for each other just as we've been praying for, uh, for Andrew and for Laura and for Stephen. And so we hear these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 1 through to verse 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for a reading of it this morning. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for your word to us this morning, and we thank you, Lord, that as we read of this church 2,000 years ago, we read of a group of people in many ways similar to us. Lord, as we read of their struggles to uh, live out the Christian life and Paul's encouragement to them, we ask that we also might be encouraged, and that we might understand, as they did, what is the ground of our worship this Advent season. Lord, your great and abiding commitment to your people. Lord God, we ask that you would bless us as we consider your word. And we pray, Lord, as you send us out into this coming week, that you would encourage us and build us up and make us ready for all that we will encounter over the coming seven days. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we know that Christmas is about many things, many practical things, as well as many principled things. Uh, we recognize that there is Thanksgiving, that there is um, a, a time for service and for blessing other people and so on. Christmas is truly a great time to think about the world outside of us, the, the world around us. There is also um, much to be done and much to be focused on in terms of 
um, what we do amongst ourselves, how we um, bless each other, how we spend time together, we buy uh, and exchange gifts for one another, we feed one another, and so on. There's all sorts of uh, things that go on around this season for us to think about. In fact, there's almost too many things for us to think about when it comes to Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I think that feeling of exhaustion come sort of bedtime on Christmas Day and the thought that whilst it's been lovely, it's nice that it's done and we can look forward to a, a quieter run into the, the new year and then we'll worry about Christmas when it comes round again next year. Not that we're ungrateful for it, not that we haven't enjoyed it, but it's just really, really busy, physically and mentally. And one of the causes of that, um, that sense of being a little bit tired is... Uh, what we're reflecting on this morning, this idea of commitment, of being together with other people that we belong to, if I can put it that way. Our family. We are committed to our family. There's a sense in which we're committed to our family, whether we want to be or not. They're our family, and those are the folks that we have in our lives. And I'm sure we're all thankful for our families. But when it comes to Christmas time, and being together, and that focus that always goes at Christmas time of we must be together, we must do things together, there's a reflection, I think, not just on our commitment together, but, but sometimes on, on what pushes us a little on that commitment. It can feel a little bit strained at times, can't it? As people are coming, the food has to be prepared, there are folks coming into your house, or you're going into someone else's house, and there's all sorts of stress that goes along with that, that can leave us feeling a little bit challenged at this, uh, this time of year. Maybe you don't experience that. Maybe the whole thing is just a total joy and a delight to you. And I know there's folks that just find nothing but joy in the Christmas season. And God bless you, that's fantastic. But that's, that's often not the way it is. Oftentimes, there is stress. And the true meaning of Christmas that we've been reflecting on, the coming of Jesus, gets drowned out by all of that stuff. Doesn't it? Because we're so focused on doing Christmas right that we sort of lose sight of everything else. Well, we have an opportunity to, to refocus ourselves, to realign ourselves Sunday by Sunday as we focus on Christmas and as we think about the nature of our commitment to being together. Why do we gather like this at Christmas time? Why is Christmas time a time of commitment, of, of focusing on other people, our family being together, whether we want to be or not? Well, part of it is because the nature of Christmas is about commitment. The very core of Christmas is about commitment. And just as we thought about love being the centre of Christmas last week, so we think about God's commitment to us this festive season. Paul is writing to this church that is in many ways like our church today. It's a church made up of all sorts of individuals from all sorts of places. And in many ways is a church that we look back on and I think perhaps rightly, thank God that we don't experience a lot of what the church in Corinth was experiencing. They were going through tremendous upheaval. Understandable, there's a group of people who've come from a pagan background and they've got no idea what living together as Christians is supposed to look like. And they're struggling and they're trying to figure it out as they go along and they're making a total mess of it as they go, which in many ways is what church life should be like. A group of people making a bit of a mess of things, but trying really hard to live together and love one another. And Paul comes to this church, writes to this church, 
and he prays for them. He's concerned for them. He loves them. And he gives thanks to God, but he's a wee bit concerned for what's going on in the church. There's family breakdowns. There's Christians taking each other to court and suing each other. There's uh, idolatry. There's all sorts of, uh, sort of depraved practices, worship practices they're bringing in from the pagan culture around that are totally inappropriate for Christian life uh, together. And they're sort of struggling with all of this. And Paul is helping them to cope with these things. And sometimes he's got some harsh words to say to the church in Corinth. He begins his letter saying, though, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He loves the fact that the church in Corinth is there. He hates all the problems they've got and he hates the mess that some of them are making because some of them are making a real mess of church life together and he hates that. But he loves the fact that Jesus has become their saviour. And I think that's before we even really get into what Paul is saying, something that we should take from this as a valuable lesson, that there are many things in church life that we're going to struggle with over time. People do things, there's nothing intrinsically bad with them, we just don't like them. Sometimes people have personalities that we struggle with a wee bit, and, and we find that frustrating. There are all sorts of things like that in church life. And you know what I'm talking about if you've been in church for more than ten minutes. And we can sometimes struggle to give thanks to God for that when we're experiencing some of these little niggles. And yet what we can always give thanks to God for is that Jesus' grace has been enough for every one of us. God loved us and sent his son to be our saviour. And he's made this, as imperfect as Lady Well Baptist Church is, this is what he's made. And he's constantly improving it through the grace of Jesus. And that's something to give thanks to God for. Christ has come and transformed the believers in Corinth, transformed the believers here in Livingston, and Paul and we should not be able to help but give thanks to God for that. So as we come to this Christmas, and as we thank God for our church, for each other, and for the life of Lady Well Baptist Church, what is it that we're supposed to do? What is it we're supposed to be thanking God for how is it we're supposed to be thanking God and going on into 2022 together? Well, we find Paul encouraged in this letter, right here at the very beginning, because of God's commitments to the believers in Corinth, that he didn't have to save them, as we thought about last week in John's Gospel, but he chose to do so because of his love, and he poured his grace and his mercy upon the, the, um, the believers in Corinth. And because of his commitment to them, we find that they are enriched beyond measure in Christ Jesus. This is the nature of God's commitment. It's not just that he said, look, I'm going to spare this group of people and they're going to do all sorts of frustrating things. They're going to go on struggling with sin even after I've paid for their sins and seen them redeemed. But, but I'm just going to persist with them and, and we'll just keep going. There is no sense of... Uh, that in God's commitment, God constantly enriches them in Jesus. He is never done pouring his blessings into their life. And that's a truly astonishing thing. And it's no surprise then that Paul just can't help bursting into praise and thanksgiving to God, because who is like that? There is something uh, of a parallel in this, between the relationship that we have within our own family and church and at home isn't there, that 
um, parents constantly sacrifice for their children, constantly pour into the lives of their children, regardless of what comes back the other way. And we all know that, we've experienced it, whether we have children or not, we certainly were children once, and we can remember uh, countless experiences where our parents blessed us, despite the fact that sometimes we were pretty ungrateful or didn't even really consider the sacrifice they had made for us, and yet they went on making it for us uh, all the same. And we can see that in the relationship that God has with us. I, I um, read, it was one of these things that you see online that suck you in and you find two hours later you've not done anything of any real work because you've spent endless time reading these things. And it was uh, conversations that parents had had with teenagers that they had recorded and, and posted uh, online. And one of them I found particularly interesting. A parent was uh, sharing a, of an argument that she'd had with her teenage daughter her daughter had come to her and said, Mum, have you still got those really hideous white trainers that you bought in the 1990s? You know, the ones that I slag you off for all the time for wearing and just think they're utterly awful. And Mum said, well, sorry, actually, no, you gave me so much stick for them that I put them out to charity last year. And there was a complete meltdown in the home at that point. I can't believe that you've done that. How could you possibly have got rid of them? They've come back into fashion and I really wanted to wear them. Mum says, I, I don't know what to say to <laughs> And it's the kind of conversation that happens all the time. And despite that and many other conversations, parents constantly pour their lives into their children. And it's hard to explain why, other than the fact that they're my children. And I love them and I want them to do well and so I'm just going to keep doing this. And sometimes it can be hard to figure out why and how we can keep going on like this and yet you do. And it's because our Heavenly Father does the same for us. It's a, a, an image that resonates with us. It's a picture of a relationship, whether we acknowledge it exists or not, whether you're a Christian or not, it's something that we all experience every day. God constantly blesses us. And so we feel the need to, to replicate that relationship. It's because we're made in God's image. And we find Paul exclaiming how good God is because he is committed to the believers in Corinth to the point where they are frustrating God intensely and yet he persists in blessing them. They are really, I think the right word is adulterating the worship that they have as Christian men and women, whether it be on Sunday or whether it be throughout the week. They're bringing in pagan practices that really it's probably not appropriate for me to mention here and making it part of the worship of God because that's all they know. That's what they think worship is. They come from a, a pagan background and it is utterly beyond the pale. And when other Christians have pointed this out, they kind of run them out of town or try to put them out of the church or exclude them because I know best and you should do what I say. And the church was starting to tear itself apart as the believers were struggling to figure out what was right and what was wrong, what should be done and what couldn't be done. And Paul says into the midst of all this, look at the mess you're making. You're, you're tearing each other apart. You're accusing your brothers and sisters of things. You're suing one another for goodness sake. What does that say about the unity you have in Jesus? And he says, despite that, God is committed to you. 
You've taken your eyes off of God. All you're focused on is getting what you want and doing the things that you want to do. And yet, God is still blessing you. Your church still has life. You still are able to worship God. You're still witnessing to Him and He's still adding to your number all the time as you share the Gospel. And it's unbelievable. Surely, if this was a business, you would have just just abandoned the whole thing and just gone your separate ways by now. And yet God is persisting with you. He continues to bless you and the congregation. Because it's not ultimately about you. It's about Him. And it's truly astonishing for us to look back and see how big a mess the believers in Corinth were making. And at the same time recognize perhaps our own blindness to the mess that we sometimes make of our Christian lives together. How many times we aren't getting it quite right and yet God persists with us. And he enriches us constantly. He's added three people to our membership this morning. As a fellowship, do we deserve that? I don't know. But he's done it. And we're going to be blessed as a result of that. And these folks will be blessed as a result of being part of our fellowship. And that's an amazing thing. And it speaks of God's commitment to Lady Well Baptist Church. That we're getting things wrong, I'm sure, all the time. And yet God enriches us because he is committed to us for all that we sometimes forget to be committed to him. There's a big problem in church life generally, not necessarily with our church, but generally where, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, where the building takes over. It becomes all about maintaining the bricks and mortar and the the fabric of this place because it's something that needs to be done and the building has to be maintained all the time and it has to be decorated and kept up to date and things need to be replaced and stuff gets broken and, and none of that's wrong. And yet the danger is that that becomes everything. It becomes all that we spend our money on. It becomes all that we spend our time talking about and trying to figure out how we fix this and sort that and uh, add whatever it might be and so on. And yet that is not what church life is all about, is it? And I know, I'm sure many of you, as I have been, uh, well, I've been in churches in the past where that, that becomes it. Or... Or doing work in the community, not necessarily sharing the gospel. And we have a community fridge, for example. And it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing ministry and we want to thank God for that and pray that it continues to, um, to encourage and to bless and be a source of our blessing to the community around us so that we can ultimately share the gospel. But you will know of many churches where that is all the church is about. It's just about feeding the hungry or going out and working with the homeless or you know, addiction counselling or whatever it might be. There is very little life with God about it. It's just about the doing of the stuff, the ministry, whatever it might be. Not recognising that they've left the actual ministry behind, the sharing of the gospel. And like I say, these aren't problems that we face at the moment, but these are problems in the church at large. And it consumes us so that we've taken our eyes off of God and what we're focusing on is the church, the edifice, the structure, the thing, and not the one who sits in the very centre of it all. That's what the believers in Corinth had begun to do. If you read the beginning of Revelation, this is what Jesus says to many of the churches in those opening three chapters. That you've taken your eyes off the ball. You've become all about getting your teaching spot on and you're kind of forgetting the one that you're supposed to be teaching about. 
You've become all about your money and your amazing building, and you've forgotten about the one who is supposed to be worshipped in that building. And so on, and so on. And that's a danger for every church in every age, regardless of where we are or uh, what year it is, how young or how old the congregation might be. It's always a risk. And yet, Paul says, despite the fact that you are going down the wrong path, you're forgetting the God who saved you, God is continuing with you, blessing you and enriching you, not to encourage you to keep going in that way, but to bring you back to focus on Him, to see Him. And that's why Paul is writing First and Second Corinthians. And he's got some tough things to say to them, but he says it to refocus them on the God who is constantly blessing them. And one of the questions I have for us today is, how are we immeasurably enriched in Christ? Because we are, as a fellowship. We're amazingly blessed by God. But it's important that we don't just say that as a sort of a, a kind of truism about church life. God is amazingly blessing us but that we actually do take the time this coming week, this morning, in this service, to consider for a moment the particular ways in which God is blessing our church. And what is that saying about our life with Him and our life together and where we're going? That we reflect. It's one of those songs that we don't sing anywhere near as much as we certainly used to. And I remember um, singing a lot growing up that we count our blessings. We name them one by one. We count our blessings to think about what the Lord has done in our midst. Not just to think about it for the sake of doing it or to get ourselves to sleep at night because we're just lying wide awake and it's 11 o'clock and we know we've got to get up our way and we need to find some way of doing it so we just count all of our blessings like sheep to get us to nod off. But so that we might truly be thankful and truly reflect on how good God is. Paul looks at the church in Corinth, he sees all of the problems, but he sees towering above all of those problems the grace of God. And that is how he responds to the church. That is what colours his interaction with his brothers and sisters in Corinth. So when he rebukes them, he doesn't do it out of a sort of you know, a slightly ticked off, peevish nature that he just wants them to get this fixed because it's embarrassing to Paul that they keep getting this wrong. It's not why he's doing it. He wants them to glorify God. That's what he wants because he sees how majestic God's glory is in their lives. And he wants them to know that too. We find that we are enriched immeasurably in Christ. Because he commits himself to each one of us. He sent his son to die for us. He has saved us into this family. And he goes on blessing us in this family. Unbelievable. But we find God's commitment also means that we lack nothing in Christ. And Paul goes on to say that. That Christ has so blessed them, so enriched them, that they are enriched in all speech and in all knowledge so that they are not lacking in any gift as they wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, for Christ to, to return, his second coming. While we're waiting for that to happen, he is revealing himself constantly in you in the way that, that you lack nothing. And it truly is astonishing. They lack discipline, they lack a desire for Christ, they keep turning to other things to find fulfillment, they lack a love for each other because they're suing each other. And when you remember, the church in Corinth isn't some 5,000 member megachurch. There's maybe a hundred people, I don't know, probably a lot less than that. There's no reason to think the church in Corinth was any bigger than our church in Ladywell. 
And you hear about the terrible mess they're making, the terrible witness to the community around them, and yet, we find that they lack nothing, Paul says. They're given everything they need. They're using it wrong, but they're given everything they need. And we remember, Paul isn't thanking God for the Corinthians, but for what God has done for them, and what God is doing in them every single day. They've got his spirit, they've got his words to guide them together into a well-disciplined life. They have in him a sufficient saviour, so they don't need to keep working for their salvation. And the same is true for us today. I don't need to keep labouring in the hope that God will love me. I don't need to fear, even though I've failed him this week, that God will abandon me. Christ has died and has been raised up for me. That is a past event. And God knew what I was like before Christ went to the cross. And Jesus still went to the cross for me and for you. And if he didn't want you because you were going to be a hassle, he wouldn't have bothered. But he did. So Paul gives thanks to God because of what God has done for them. Because of what God will do in them. And that should inform how they respond to one another and how they respond to Christ. They should respond with thanksgiving, despite the fact that some of their brothers and sisters are really pushing them and testing the boundaries of what's acceptable in the church. Paul is driving all of this when he prays for them. He says, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus. So as they focus their eyes on the coming of Jesus, everything is focused on that glorious end, what should color their relationships as they walk along that path, go to that destination, is the fact that God is sufficient for them, that they don't have an absence of anything they need. They might think they do. If we just had a better building, if we had the kind of church building that the guys in Ephesus have got, if they had the kind of pastor that the church in Galatia had, because they're just going absolutely crazy at the moment and the church is growing and our pastor is just a bit rubbish or whatever it might be. If we just had X, everything would be fine. And Paul's saying there's none of that. You're given everything you need. God is pouring abundant blessings into your life. Look at the people he's given you. And it's something that we've mentioned before as we think about church life. If God had wanted another Billy Graham and Lady Well, and I wouldn't be here, you'd have another Billy Graham. But he doesn't seem to want another Billy Graham, for better or for worse. You, you guys have got me. He seems to want me here at this time and in this place. And it's the same for every single one of us. You might not think that you have many gifts or skills or abilities, that you have all that much to offer in the life of the church, but you do or you wouldn't be here. How many people live in Livingston? It's about 60,000 people. There are not 60,000 people in Ladywell Baptist Church. Now, I don't know whether that would be a nice thing or a, a terrible thing to experience if there were. Let's say it would be a wonderful experience because it would be the church and we know that's the right answer. But 60,000 people to, to organize sounds like a real headache to me. But if there were all of those people, we might have reason to believe that we're not necessary because there's so many others. But when you think of all the people in Livingston that aren't going anywhere spiritually, you are here in this place. God has chosen you to be here. Not because you're amazing, but because he is, and he can do something amazing in you and through you. 
And it might not be the conversion of 20,000 people in the community around you. It might simply be getting alongside people and talking to them and letting them know that you care for them and you're a listening ear whenever they need it. And you're not going to be judgmental and, uh, or whatever else. You're just going to listen to them and support them. Maybe that is your calling. I don't know. But God has placed you here and has committed himself to you in this place for the glory of himself in this church. It's why we bother with membership. It's why we bother celebrating together and encouraging one another and baptizing people together as a fellowship. Because it's all about being together for him. We lack nothing in Christ because God has committed himself to us as a fellowship. So how is it that you're going to serve, given you lack nothing because you're connected to this place, to these people? How will we give thanks to God this Christmas time? How will we serve in whatever way we're going to serve at Christmas time and worship God in it, given we lack nothing, given that we are blessed beyond measure? Lastly, Paul says, given that we are sustained in every way by Christ. This is something which I know some of you definitely have experienced um, over the last few weeks and months as we have struggled with loss in our fellowship. I don't know how many people have said to me, I just, I just don't know how people cope who aren't Christians, who don't know the love of the Lord and, and the blessing of the fellowship being together. So many people have said kind words or have just phoned me up or taken me out for coffee or just encouraged me in seemingly small and insignificant ways, but it meant so much to me. We know that we are sustained by Christ, but do we know just how much? Paul tells the Corinthians that it's not just about them being enriched, being blessed for the works of service. They're actually carried every single day by Christ, whether they feel it or not. This is one of the more interesting bits in the passage, and we, we pause here as, as we think about this, that we... We all have some idea of the direction of our lives, that we are going in a certain direction, we're going to get married, we're going to have a job, we are married, we're currently in a job, we're heading towards this, we have organized that in our future, whatever it might happen to be. And we hope that we are going to one day die having lived a long and a full life, one filled with more joys than sorrows and so on. And yet, this isn't really the way that God sees our lives. Just getting from day to day, experiencing it the best we can until we come to the end of a long and a full life. The Corinthians are blessed by God as they await the revealing of Christ who will sustain them to the end. And the focus God has when he sees their lives is not death. It's not have them having lived 97, 98, 99 years or however long it might be. It is the coming of the Lord. The focus is Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? Is the focus of our lives Jesus? Because that is what we are being sustained to constantly hold before ourselves. The coming of the Lord. The conclusion of all things. The culmination of the church. That it becomes what it's supposed to be. And as we read in Revelation, this bride for Christ is fully prepared, fully made ready, so that when Jesus returns, there is this great celebration. They are joined completely and perfectly together for all eternity, so that there is nothing but 
joy and blessing and worship and glory and goodness. That is what Paul is pointing the believers in Corinth towards. Not just seeing out their days as best they can, but focusing everything they've got on the end that God is focusing on. The return of Jesus and the fulfillment of the church. Everything is poured out to that end. They give themselves fully to that end. They sacrifice for one another to that end. The building up of the church. And the fascinating thing for me is this sort of curls around on itself. God sustains us as individual Christians. How? Through the ministry of the church. Yes, supernaturally, spiritually, God blesses us through a knowledge of his presence and as we read his word and so on. Absolutely, but the practical, on-the-ground way he does this is through the ministry of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I am sustained today through my struggling and my sorrows and sufferings, whatever that might be, so I will help sustain you tomorrow. Or maybe even today, as as we mutually build one another up in suffering, in difficulty, in joy, in whatever it might be we're experiencing. The church does this to itself constantly, and the reason it's able to keep doing so is because Christ is pouring himself into it constantly, day by day. Enriching us, sustaining us. It all sort of goes round on itself. It's... I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever spent more than sort of 10 minutes on YouTube, you'll see videos pop up all the time for um, perpetual motion machines. There's always some slightly swivel-eyed person on YouTube thinking that they've invented a perpetual motion machine and the government's wanting to hush it up because it'll just bankrupt the oil industry and cause revolutions all over the world. There's always someone saying that they've come up with some new perpetual motion machine. But there is a sense in which that is what the church actually is. It's not self-sustaining fully because God is pouring himself into it all the time. But the way the church gets from today into tomorrow and from the church in Corinth 2,000 years to the church in Ladywell is by God sustaining individual believers through the life of the gathered family that marks his commitment. We're living out the commitment of God with one another. As we come to Christmas time, we might wonder how we're going to celebrate in light of all the stuff that's going on. We're committed together as a church family. We're committed together as in our own little families at home. But these are all pale reflections of the far greater commitment that God has towards us. God blesses us immeasurably. He sustains us perfectly. And in the end, He glorifies us glorifies himself in us completely. The church in Corinth was not a great model of the glory of God. People in Corinth looked at the church and wondered what on earth these crazy Christians were up to. And Paul wanted to deal with that. And in many ways we should be really encouraged by that. But we're not a perfect church. There is no perfect church anywhere, and yet God has committed himself to us, and so we can commit ourselves to one another and help each other commit ourselves to him. And that is how we celebrate Christmas. That's how we keep Christ at the center of it all. Not forcing it, not trying to stir up emotions of love and so on for one another, but just committing to each other and to our families in the love of Christ. For that is what God has done for each one of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and we thank you much more for the commitment that you have to us that it reveals. 
And Lord God, we ask that you would bless us this coming week. There's so much that keeps us busy, keeps our minds active on the run-up to Christmas, and we pray, Lord, that Christ would be at the very centre of it all. We know the, the guilt of realising that we've come to Christmas and we haven't really thought about Jesus very much. And so, Lord, we ask this season that as we reflect on our commitment as a church, as we gather together often to worship, as we reflect on our commitment to our family, as we eat together and open presents together and do all sorts of enjoyable things together, Lord God, we pray that we would see your commitment to each one of us in all of those things. And Lord God, we would give you thanks, for we really don't deserve it. And yet you have lavished your love upon us in immeasurable degree. Lord God, we give you thanks and we pray that you would bless us together as a church family this Christmas season. And we ask it all, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. Amen.